Due to technical difficulties, the message that was taught on Wednesday, October 6, was not recorded properly. What follows is a recreation of that lesson so that those listening online can keep up with the messages. So we're going to continue our study of biblical stewardship by looking at what the Bible says about debt. And I've entitled this message, Financially Conformed or Transformed. And that really flows from a passage in Romans 12. You know the passage probably quite well. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. Where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember the foundational principles which we covered last week. And, and really the overall idea is that we want to be uh, faithful stewards as Christians. So if you want to be a faithful steward to whom God gives eternal rewards, and by that I don't mean that you're earning your salvation. That can never be earned. But what I mean by that is that God does reward us for faithfulness. So if you want to be a faithful steward whom God gives eternal rewards, you must purpose to spend your money wisely, to trust God for your needs, and to avoid whenever possible the dangerous amounts of debt. And debt is what we're going to look at tonight, and we'll look at other things in the future, kind of build on this. So this lesson, we're going to be looking at debt. And there are some foundational principles, which we covered last week, that I think are important to cover again in this lesson. And that is, we need to understand the authority that undergirds the various uh, instructions and recommendations provided in this lesson. In discussing how to honor God with our finances, we need to make distinctions between biblical commands, biblical wisdom, and personal choices and how we carry out our stewardship of the wealth that God gives us. So biblical sins are something that would be a, a, a sin to violate. Biblical wisdom is folly to violate. It's not necessarily sinful. could be sinful, but it's not necessarily sinful. And then personal choices and how we apply those biblical principles, the biblical wisdom and the biblical commands, um, the, the personal choices, uh, these really of applying the, the biblical wisdom um, cannot be put on the same level as like biblical commands. Um, we, we must allow for variance of choices. Uh, each one must answer to God, not to, to fellow man. But there is going to be in a different difference of approaches in how we apply um, these these uh, the biblical wisdom on on finances and in how we seek to be faithful stewards uh, for God. So to be a faithful steward of, uh, requires um, that we use God's money wisely, as we looked at last week. And I won't recover. I won't review that lesson. You can get the lesson online. Secondly, we need, as good stewards, if we want to be faithful stewards, we have got to purpose to avoid or to get out of, of debt. And we, uh, last week, in just introducing this, we reviewed some common uh, debt traps or money myths that we adapted from Jim Newhouser's study. I referenced that last week, and again, I won't, just want to mention it here that it's in last week's lesson, 
and I won't uh, review that uh, in this lesson. So we want to get to really the, uh, what does God's word say about debt? What does God's word say about debt? And again, under the premise of looking at this to see if you're more financially conformed to the world or are you being transformed by what God says about debt? If you lend money, the first principle is this. If you lend money, so looking at it from a lender's standpoint, if you lend money, don't seek to gain from people's misfortune. Don't seek to gain from people's misfortune. Uh, summarized, uh, in other words, God wants us to be gracious and lend. The Mosaic Law actually uh, forbid um, forbade the, the, the Israelites from charging of interest to fellow Israelites. Exodus 22.25 says this, If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, that is a pledge for a loan, a, a security for a loan, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. For that is for that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And what shall come about when he cries out to me? I will hear him. Sorry. And it, and it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him for I am gracious. And then Leviticus 25, 35. Now, in case of a countryman of yours that becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God, that you, that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And then in Deuteronomy 23:19. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but your countrymen you shall not charge interest. So the Lord your God may bless you in all you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. As one commentator summarizes, charging interest for a loan was unpopular among the Israelites, who considered the practice an unacceptable means of profiting from another's misfortune. Now, they, they looked at it this way because in the Old Testament times, the, the charging of interest was more like what we would call usury today. Merriam-Webster's uh, definition of usury um, helps us to, to see how the this definition has changed with time. There is an archaic definition that simply uh, of usury, which simply means interest, a, a charging of interest. And the, the older uh, translation, the older versions of the King James Bible use this word uh, in, in this sense. When it, so uh, the, the idea of usury is just charging interest. But the, um, in the, the word in more modern times has, has come to take a very negative connotation. And that is lending the lending of money with uh, an interest charge, uh, especially the lending of money at exorbitant interest rates. And in fact, um, in a legal sense, it is an unconscionable and an exorbitant rate of amount of interest, specifically interest in excess of a legal rate charged to a borrower for the use of money. So many states uh, have uh, usury laws that prohibit 
the maximum amount of interest that can be charged to a person. And uh, that's the reason that many credit card companies um, are based um, out of um, uh, one particular state, and I believe that is uh, Nevada, that does not have uh, usury laws. So um, the interest rates are not, um, uh, the high interest rates that they charge are not breaking the law. Um, so just be warned. Now, one commentator noted that regarding the biblical, how, how interest rates, how, sorry, how uh, the charging of interest was done in biblical times uh, said this, and I quote, it should be understood that ancient rates of interest were ruinously high. In Babylon, for example, it was common to lend food or produce at 33 and a third percent interest and money, that is silver bullion, at 20 percent interest. In Nuzi, an ancient Babylonian city in modern-day Iraq, some loans were made at even 50% rate. The modern modern rates of interest at 5 or 5% or even 8% were quite unheard of. And, and when it was written, obviously, interest rates were higher. Now they're uh, extremely low. But again, un, unheard of in biblical times. And you would think that all this would, would uh, lend to a view that the Bible prohibits um, lending, or the, the Bible prohibits um, even borrowing, but it, but it doesn't do so. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus uh, seems to condone the business of lending money at a reasonable interest, uh, not usurious, um, not usury, not high interest rates, but at reasonable interest. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, uh, 27, and Luke 19, 23, where you have this unfaithful steward um, who was given one talent, and and he just basically took that one talent and and uh, hid it, and then when his master demanded it back, he just brought it uh, brought it back, and and the master basically challenged that unfaithful steward and said, "You should have put that one talent in the bank, where I could have received it back with interest." So it is. Um, uh, the commendation really is for the other stewards who were faithful in producing more talents, but the um, just uh, owner um, basically demands that his um, that talent should have at least been invested in a bank could could have earned interest. Now the banking industry of biblical times isn't uh, like what it is today, but there were um, there were places where you could put your money. Um, on on hold in in like a safe safe uh, kind of a safe um, area to be kept safe equivalent of a modern day bank in that sense and they would pay you a small amount of interest uh, because they would use that money for their purposes so they're earning money off your money so they're paying you a little bit so even in biblical times there was there was some form of that so uh, we need we need to to understand that. And then we also need to understand that, that the one who lends to the needy without charging interest is actually commended in Scripture. So the idea is not charging um, interest. Uh, to, to This is given in the sense of your brother, but really, I think, in principle, expands out to the idea of your neighbor. So uh, in Psalm 15.1, uh, and then also looking at verse 5, Psalm 51 says this, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who does not put out his money at interest. So, you know, David is asking the question, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? And he, 
he lists several characteristics, but one in particular that that he lists there is this idea of one who does not put out his money at interest. Uh, this idea is continued in Psalm 112, uh, verses 1 to 5. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends, who is gracious and lends. And then Proverbs 19, 17. Tell us this. Proverbs 19, 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deeds. Kind of interesting there that Jesus, that God is, is uh, telling us that if we lend to a poor man, lends to the Lord. And in this sense, uh, the context, it was originally written uh, in the context of Israel and Israelites. So it's the idea of lending to your brother. And when you take care of a brother in that sense, then it's like lending to the Lord. Uh, and obviously God uh, owns the cattle on a thousand hills and doesn't need uh, anybody to loan him any kind of um, money or food or clothing or anything. So it, this is really just saying, um, like we see, somewhat see in the New Testament and in the judgment of the goats, the sheep and the goats, that if you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me, is what Jesus uh, tells those who are listening to his sermon disciples and, and all others. So it, it's an interesting concept. The one who's gracious to a poor man lends to, the, lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. And then Proverbs 28, 8, he who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who's gracious to the poor. Um, so Jesus saw lending to the needy without charging interest as, as one way to love God and love your neighbor. And he holds us out in, in Matthew four five forty two. Matthew five forty two, give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So it's it's interesting that there's this idea uh, in in the Bible very clearly that one of the ways that God is gracious to the poor is by providing people neighbors who uh, have the means to be able to lend to them. And something I won't develop, but I want to leave we leave just leave you with uh, something to think about, and that is this: that when God uh, helps the poor, He in Scripture the instructions He gives are often about lending. Now, there's a probably certainly there's a time to give when you have the means to give, and just make a gracious gift. Um, but it's often we see in Scripture that the the graciousness that God calls for is just lending without charging interest. And probably the, the reasons for that are the fact that it gives the poor an opportunity to work. And there's that work ethic involved. And there's the idea of, of really working, working um, to support your own family, working to pay back what you owe. There's there's a certain amount of practical um, righteousness there that, that God wants for his people. So we're not just commanded to give. There are times certainly to give, and I'm not making the case you shouldn't just give money to, to the poor. But more often in Scripture, we see that you should loan to the poor, again, without interest, um, in order to, to help that person uh, earn and work. And so there's not the uh, really the concept of entitlement that gets built up there, that, that the person is just entitled to receiving gifts from those who have it. So again, just 
think about that in light of our some of the things that are going on in our culture right now. So being able to lend to others, that is having enough not only for your own needs, but but the ability to, to help others by lending them money and, and to not, not have a need to borrow yourself was was uh, one of the Mosaic blessings promised to Israel. If they are obedient to God, God would provide them uh, with enough resources that they would not have to borrow and that they would be able to lend to others. Uh, we see this in Deuteronomy 28.12. Deuteronomy 28.12. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall you shall not borrow. And we see this also in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses uh, 6 to 11. Another principle about uh, lending money is that lenders were permitted to receive security or pledges for their loans. Now, they weren't required to do this, but they were permitted to do it. Um, Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible summarizes uh, this, this principle well. And I'll just quote here. The security for a loan generally consisted of some kind of pledge where a small temporary loan was involved. The pledge could be a personal object, real estate, or even the word of a guarantor. The law, as outlined in Deuteronomy, is quite specific about what could or could not be used as security or pledge. No object essential for daily living, such as the upper millstone, could be accepted as a pledge. If a man pledged his cloak, it had to be returned to him by nightfall, since it served then as a blanket. Moreover, the creditor was not allowed to enter the house to obtain the pledge, but instead had to receive it at the door before witnesses. And uh, scriptures, uh, I guess another principle is that the scriptures warn us against the foolishness of becoming a guarantor of anyone else's loan. So that was something that was done in, in Old Testament times, much the same way it is today. But scriptures warn um, very um, harshly, I guess very in multiple times, they warn us against uh, taking any kind of, or becoming a guarantor for someone else's loans. Uh, we see this in Proverbs 6. So my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been ensnared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have become, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your, importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, go get yourself out of the situation that you're in, and do it like you're being hunted, like a gazelle. All right. Um, so there's quite urgency with that. But then, but then to that, at Proverbs eleven fifteen. He who is a guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it, but he who hates being a guarantor is secure. In Proverbs seventeen eighteen, a man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. And add to these, then three other proverbs: Proverbs twenty sixteen, Proverbs twenty two twenty six, and Proverbs twenty seven thirteen, that warn us against becoming a guarantor for a loan. So. Simple message from Scripture is, don't do it. It's foolishness. Why would you risk your own financial situation by vouching for um, to take on the debts of another person? 
the scriptures say that it's uh, uh, foolish. Now, one of the thing, one of the principle that is important for us to cover regarding lo- loaning money for principle for lenders, that uh, we see in Old Testament times, that lenders were to keep in mind that that during the year of jubilee, all debts were be were to be forgiven. So, in the year of jubilee, all debts were to be forgiven. And this was done every seven years. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 to 2 tell us, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of sins. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor, and he shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. And this is repeated again in Deuteronomy 15, beginning at verse 7. Exodus 21, beginning of verse 2, and Leviticus 25, beginning of verse 39. So it's just the idea here is, is that um, the, the poor who would, who would receive these loans would uh, receive a remission. So if the loan wasn't paid back during those seven years, then that loan would be um, uh, basically forgiven. They'd forget to be given a remission. And if the person sold land, that land would be given back to the person who sold it. And if the person was really destitute and sold themselves into slavery, then that person was to receive their freedom at the end of seven years. So in our own thinking, you might think, well, that, that doesn't seem fair to the person. It doesn't seem righteous to the person who made the loan. But keep in mind, the person who makes the loan fully understands that that debt is going to be forgiven in seven years. So they they typically are going to give the person what they need. That's what God commands. But but you don't give well beyond what they need and, and basically enslave them for the rest of their lives. It was somewhat of a protection that God gave to to the poor. It kept them from, from taking on debt that they could never get out of. In their whole lives, so there was a reset every seven years, and people who did loan money loaned uh, with the full knowledge of when the year of jubilee was coming. So, if, if they had seven years yet, they could loan that you know a, a greater amount. And if the year of jubilee was only two years away, then then they would um, would loan money according to the fact that the year of jubilee was only two years away. So now I wanted to shift a little bit and and move away from looking at what the Bible says to to lenders and about loaning money to what the Bible says about borrowers and about uh, debt. So the first thing that we need to realize is that debt is a liability that should be avoided whenever possible since it leads to bondage and slavery. Debt's a liability that should be avoided whenever possible since it leads to bondage and slavery. Proverbs 22, 7 makes this very clear. There, Solomon says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So the first part of that phrase is something we, every society would recognize and say, the rich rule over the poor. That's even true in our democratic state. So very few of those who, who rule over of us, especially at the federal level, would be uh, classified as, uh, none of them would be classified as poor, and very few of them would be classified as middle class. They are mostly classified as the rich, and particularly after they get elected to office, and then once they leave office, um, they continue to make quite a bit of money. So the rituals over the poor is 
is something that's just generally true of every nation um, all throughout the ages. But the second part is what I want to draw our attention to because it's a little bit shocking, at least for us in, in a culture like ours that, that borrows so much. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. So what that principle is teaching us is that as we borrow money, you are enslaving yourself. You are obligating yourself to that person or to that institution in our own times to do what they want you to do. It does it does put a burden on you that you do have to carry. You're legally obligated to carry that. So in a sense, it makes you their slave. So again, I just emphasize the fact that here in the United States, we consider ourselves, um, we consider that this is the land of the, of the free, of the, the home of the brave and the free. But uh, from a financial standpoint, that's not true because of how much debt that we have. And again, this is what God's word says. And an illustration of the fact that borrowing um, can lead to, to slavery is given to us in Second Kings 4. Now, this is a period of Israel's history when they, where they were not um, they were not adhering to the Mosaic law. Uh, big surprise there, right? Uh, their history is full of that. They were not um, adhering to the Mosaic law of, of, of lending and of how to lend uh, with that debt remission and, and just the, the idea of, of um, um, forgiving others and taking care of others. So, First uh, Kings 4, 1-7, I'll just read it. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children and to, uh, my two children to be his slaves. So this, um, this gentleman who died uh, obviously had some debts, and now that he died, his creditor knew that uh, that his man wasn't going to be able to pay anything back, so he was going to take his two sons and and uh, sell them uh, to try to get some of his money back. Now, that would not be permitted by Mosaic uh, law. This is just what they were doing. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, you and your sons. And you shall pour out all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. You shall pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. And then she came and told the man of God. And she said, Go. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So it's a miraculous provision of God uh, to take care of this widow and and uh, keeping her sons from being sold into slavery. But again, just it's an illustration that that um, you know not, that sometimes debts lead to actual slavery and just not financial slavery. Uh, debt. The next principle I want to highlight is that debt is a liability that should be avoided whenever possible because it presumes upon having the means to repay in the future. Debt's a liability that should be avoided whenever possible because it presumes upon having the means to repay in the future. So when you borrow, you are 
you are presuming that you're going to have those means in the future. For example, Proverbs 19, sorry, Proverbs 16:9 says, "The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps." Now, I recognize that this is a general principle, not not um, particularly related to, uh, not directly related to borrowing money, but it is a general principle that can be applied to borrowing money. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, you're planning one thing. Your your plan is to borrow this money and pay it back in, in the next year. For example, you're borrowing money to, to plant a crop, and your plan is to harvest that crop, sell the crop, and then you'll have plenty of money to live on uh, and to pay back your loan. But what you don't realize is that that year the crop fails uh, due to drought or due to pestilence. And then you have uh, no means uh, to repay that loan uh, because it didn't work out like you thought. Uh, Proverbs 19.21 is a similar similar idea. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel, excuse me, the, the counsel of the Lord will stand. And then bringing this into the New Testament, we see James condemns this kind of presumption. He says, come now, you who say tomorrow, or today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we're not to presume upon the future. We're not to take loans that, uh, if our plans don't work out, would cause uh, a devastating impact to to us or to our uh, children. So that's a very that's, that's a form of risk taking that the scriptures would say is unwise. And we see that again that the, the Israelites often did not listen to God and obey the Mosaic law. So a part of, portion of history, another portion of history where they didn't obey God's laws on on borrowing. And on lending um, is in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Ezra 5, 1 to 5, I'll just read that. There was um, there were people who had become enslaved because of their of their debts uh, and actually had an example of how they had presumed upon the future to pay their debts. So he says, Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may we may eat and live. And there were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. And there were those who arose who said, we have borrowed money for, our, for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children like their children, Yet, behold, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because the fields and vineyards belong to others. So uh, you had people that that basically mortgaged their fields, their vineyards, their houses in order to feed themselves. So, again, borrowing to, to feed themselves. But but then here comes the king's tax. So they had to borrow money. In addition, to that, they had to borrow money on the king's tax on their fields and vineyards, and even their fields and vineyards were belonging to others. So just a, a multiplication of, of problems uh, due to uh, borrowing. Um, the, the wealthy were, were loaning money at interest and, and as well uh, taking advantage of them. The people borrowing were borrowing not only what they needed to eat, but they were borrowing money to pay the tax. 
So it's just a multiplication, um, you know, with the com compounding impact uh, of the fields being owned by these by the wealthy. Then people, when they planted crops, uh, would not even have a you know they would not have as much to repay that to pay the tax and then you know it's just it's a it's a complicating thing. So again, it's a liability that we just need to avoid because it presumes upon the future. Debt needs to be avoided also, um, and needs to be seen as a, a liability that is often associated with the poor in Scripture. So unlike in our culture today. Um, you know, getting a loan is is really uh, it's it's not seen in in negative light at at, at all. It's not looked at uh, at all. But in the Old Testament times, that was not the way it was. And even our own society, that's probably only changed in maybe the last hundred hundred years, where it's uh, not uh, where getting a loan is not viewed uh, negative negatively. So in Deuteronomy fifteen seven, we're told this: if there is a poor man with you. One of your brothers in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not burden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. And there again, you see that principle where God says to lend, graciously lend without charging interest. That The command there isn't to give, but to lend. He says, beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor, poor brother, and you give him nothing. And then he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all your undertaking. So this is a situation where someone has a need, a brother, a poor brother has a need, and and the person who has the the financial means to, to meet that need, uh, doesn't want to loan the money because they know the, the year of Jubilee is near and debt will be forgiven. So God, God in that case is, is saying, just, just be generous to, to lend. And in some cases that because of that remission of, of debt, some of that, what you're lending may not come back to you, but God is saying, God will bless you. Be generous to your brother or sister, um, in, uh, in your, so the Lord will bless you in your work and in your undertakings. But again, the, the point there I want to make is just debt is a liability that's often associated with the poor. So it was the poor who needed a loan. It wasn't, it wasn't there were no middle class, I don't think, in that times. But the, the idea is, uh, you know, the rich don't need to take a loan. So it was only the poor who needed to take a loan. Now, in our, in our times, debt is often um, because people borrow who don't fit the category of the poor, right? you get this this middle class. So in our own times, debt is often a sign that we are not content with what God has given us. So uh, debt is often a sign that we are not content with what God has given us. We often borrow to buy things we don't truly need. Fancy cars, fancy vacations, luxurious homes, boats, and a sundry list of man toys and creature comforts. These are not wants, uh, sorry, these are wants, not needs. So what, what do we learn from this? Don't borrow to medicate your discontentedness. Don't borrow to medicate your discontentedness. God commands us to be content. Luke, thir Luke 3.13 uh, records some soldiers who were beginning to understand uh, the, the requirements of God and, and asked, 
uh, what, what they need to do. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, which is something that's common for soldiers. When they went to go collect money, they would use their ability to use force as a way to extort money. And nor to accuse anyone falsely, which is another way to get money, people. You basically uh, blackmail them. And, and then he ends there, and be content with your wages. So he told the soldiers just to be content with your wages. And this is emphasized in other places in Scripture. For example, in 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6 being at verse 8, we're told or instructed, if we have food and covering, that is clothing, with these we shall be content. Um, covering could be also referring not only to clothing, but to a house. With these we could be content, or a roof over our head, not necessarily a house, but, but some means to, um, to, to sleep safely at night. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Add to that, uh, instructions were given in Hebrews 13.5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, sorry, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So you don't need to be discontent. Realize that God is there. He's going to provide for you. He's going to provide what you truly need. And if there's something you want, the command is to pray about it and see if God will supply that want for you. He's gracious. He often does that. But but don't go uh, be discontented and don't uh, go buy something you don't have money for by taking, uh, you know, buying it on, on credit. Uh, add to that fact in Philippians 4.11, Paul emphasizes there, he says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So so God is able to help you to learn to be content. And the key is re- recognizing that God provides you everything that's good for you, everything that you need. Uh, again, not everything that you want. Uh, the wants you pray about and see how God responds. Um, so so don't, don't borrow in order to... Um, to medicate your discontentedness, but also don't borrow to get something you covet. So this is another way of looking really at the same coin, perhaps the other side. Don't borrow to get something you covet. God commands us not to covet. Deuteronomy 5.21. Deuteronomy 5.21 tells us that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So don't look at uh, the neighbors or the other people that you fellowship with at church. Don't don't look and say, "Oh, I I I, I got to have a car like them or a house like them or uh, the toys that they have or you know whatever the the, the new thing gadget is." Uh, if you find yourself doing that, confess that as sin to your Lord and, and ask for His help to to think rightly. And this is emphasized. In the New Testament, in passages like Romans 13, 9-10, For you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So um, don't borrow to, to um, 
medicate your discontentedness, and don't borrow to get something you covet. Now, if you uh, are in a circumstance where you do need to borrow, what are the principles that uh, you need to be aware of? What are the biblical principles you need to be aware of if you borrow? Well, first of all, if you borrow, pay what you owe. If you borrow money, pay what you owe. Exodus 22, uh, verses 14 to 15, tell us uh, a little bit about this. He says, if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If its owner is with it, he shall make full he shall not make full restitution. If it is hired, it came for its own hire. In other words, if you borrow a, a horse in order to plow your field and the horse dies, while you're plowing the field, then you're responsible to replace that horse. You'll make restitution, is what God says. Um, if you borrow it and break it, you replace it. Um, now, if the owner is with it, then the owner's responsible for whatever happens. And obviously, if it's hired, if you if you hire someone to plow your field and the horse dies, then, then it's just the price of the hire. It's, it's their responsibility. You're not responsible for that. But if you borrow it and break it, you're responsible for replacing that. So pay what you owe. Psalm 37.21 says, The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. So it pictures the wicked as those who are uh, destitute and, and need to borrow, and the righteous as those who have plenty and are gracious and, and gives. And, and um, again, that's that's a general principle. That's always not always true. Sometimes it's the righteous who are poor and the seeming, um, you know, the wicked who seem to have uh, plenty of money. Of course, they're not gracious and, and giving. But but listen to the principle, the wicked borrows and does not pay back. So we as believers in God should not be characterized by the same characteristic as the wicked, those which is they borrow money and don't pay it back. They, they borrow a tool and they don't give it back. They borrow a book and don't give it back. So, and not just by accident, by intent. So uh, we are to pay back what we owe. This is emphasized in Romans 13, verses 7 and 8, where there Paul tells us, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, as John MacArthur notes, this passage in Romans 13 is, is not a prohibition against borrowing money, which Scripture permits and regulates. But Paul's point is that our financial obligations must be paid when they are due. Our financial obligations must be paid when they are due. This means that if you're using credit cards, spend what you can reasonably pay uh, when the bill comes due. And it, it realizes it's unwise to spend up to your credit limit, which is typically well beyond what you can pay back in a given given month. Uh, I've noticed that uh, your your uh, credit limit um, probably, uh, unless you're defaulting on your bills, um, your credit limit continues to to go up. And, and there's a reason for that. They the credit card companies do want to find a place where you'll spend so much that you can't pay it back, in order that you'll have to pay interest, which is where they make their big money. Realize that it's unwise to, to buy something on credit if, if you do not have the money to pay for it. So, so how do you handle things that come up you can't plan for? You don't use your credit card as an emergency fund. You stick some, some cash away uh, in a separate place in a bank account or just segregated somehow so you don't spend it. Uh, you have an emergency fund for emergencies. 
and uh, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey recommends a thousand dollars to start with, and then building up to three to six months of um, uh, uh, just funds, so you're not living paycheck to paycheck. And if there is some disruption, uh, for example, you can't work, um, work situation kind of uh, changes, you're able to bridge the gap. Uh, another way to to avoid putting things on credit is stick to your budget and, and realize that when you buy something on a credit card and don't have the money to pay it back, realize that the annual percentage rate on credit cards is astronomically high, uh, often predatorial. So I mentioned last time that it yeah, can be like 16% up to 24% interest, but just I looked at my own and I have a fairly good credit rating, not that I care about that, but it, the idea is, uh, I looked at my own, and it's 22% interest, over 22% interest. So just realize how quickly you can rack up uh, a, a huge bill that way. It's it's a way, uh, it's a quick, carrying a credit card balance is a quick way to end up in financial bondage. So just, just uh, to give a couple examples of this, an example, uh, let's say you bought something for $1,000 when it was on sale, so that you feel that you got a bargain. Now that $1,000 purchase, put it on the credit card and you don't have the money to, to pay it off. So you're making monthly payments, the minimum monthly payment, the minimum monthly payment would be around $40. So if you don't charge anything else to the card, uh, this that $1,000, um, and again, paying a $40 each month would result in, in 40, uh, sorry, 34 months of payments, 34 months of payments. And... $338 paid in interest. Um, and that's uh, assuming the interest rate, uh, common interest rate of like 22.74% interest, um, APR, which is a common credit card APR right now. So so realize that you bought something for $1,000 and on sale, you thought you got a good deal, but you paid an extra $338 to do it and it took you 34 months to do it. It's almost uh, three years. Uh, example two, let's... Uh, Increase the stakes a little bit. You make an impulse buy of a boat uh, for $10,000. Your friend was selling it. You thought it was a good deal, but you didn't have the money. So you, you put it uh, you, you put it on a credit card. Um, or you, it, Your friend probably doesn't take a credit card, but let's just say you, uh, the boat shop had it on a great deal, and you put it on a credit card. Now, that $10,000 purchase, if you make the minimum monthly payment, which is going to be at least $200, a minimum monthly payment of $200, uh, again, not charging anything else to the card, that results in 148 months. 148 months of paying $200. That's 12.3 years. 12.3 years. And it results in an extra $19,406. An extra $19,406. So that $10,000 bass boat or whatever kind of boat you just bought, now cost almost $30,000 over 12 years. And that doesn't include any kind of repairs or anything you might have to do it. So, so understand um, you know, buying things on debt is a quick way to get yourself financial, in financial bondage. Now today, it's not uncommon for people to carry a credit card balance of thousands of dollars. According to one website, the average credit card balance is like $5,525. But keep in mind that people carry multiple credit cards. So that isn't, you know, a single person can, can carry uh, in, in the tens of thousands of credit card debt. 
And that same website noted that according to Federal Reserve data, Americans, Americans' outstanding revolving debt, most of which is credit card debt, reached $998.4 billion in July 2001. $998.4 billion in July 2021. An incredible amount of debt. So almost a trillion, approaching a trillion. So all that to say, this is what the Bible says. There's a lot of negative, but, but for reasons, the scriptures are warning us. It doesn't prohibit us from obtaining loans, but it certainly does warn us and that we are, we are taking on an obligation that we need to, to, to pay back. And because of the credit card companies and others willing to loan you money that really is un, really unwise for them to loan, but they do it anyway because they can make some killer interest. I mean, think about it. Your bank account is earning just a, a piddly amount of interest, probably 0.2%, if, if that right now. But the credit card companies are able to earn 24%, you know, like, like, uh, 23% on, on, um, somebody who's got good, good credit and just pays the minimum amount each month. And, and if you default on any of these things, the interest rate even goes higher. Just kind of, just crazy. So don't do that. Don't use your credit card to buy things you don't have money for. Now, what about borrowing to buy a home? So let's talk about this a minute. What about borrowing to buy a home? Isn't this good debt? Well, I'll answer that by just saying maybe. And you could even say, I would even say usually. Um, sometimes it, it does make sense. And oftentimes it makes sense. Often borrowing to buy a home is better stewardship of the Lord's resources than renting. But there's a couple caveats. Or there are caveats here. Uh, remember that that... Even though you might consider this good debt, it's still debt. And should you have some unexpected serious financial event in your life, you might find yourself in a very difficult circumstance. Um, and it might be more difficult in that circumstance than simply renting. Uh, also, uh, buying a home when the housing market is high can negate some of the financial advantages of buying versus renting. So, if you if you buy when the market is high and then it goes low and then for some reason a couple of years down the road you have to sell the house it's it's a great burden especially if the housing market has dropped substantially uh, the loan will be upside down so uh, remember that you would save tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on how much you borrow and how how big of a home you you get you would save a ton of money if you just paid cash to buy your home. As Dave Ramsey has noted, the best mortgage is a 100% down plan. So I recognize that a lot of people can't do that. Most people can't do that. But but uh, there are ways to do it um, by saving and then and, and adjusting what kind of home you're buying. Um, but just understand that that would be the ideal case. So if you, if you need to borrow... To buy a home, and, and most people in our community uh, do, um, I have borrowed uh, to, to buy a home. So it's certainly not something sinful or frowned upon. You just need to do so wisely. If you need to borrow to buy a home, follow wise financial counsel. Uh, so what, what is wise financial counsel about borrowing on a home? Well, first, do not buy until you're ready. 
Well, what do I mean by that? So get out of other your of your other debt obligations. If you've got uh, you know revolving, if you got to, uh, if you carry a balance on your credit card, pay it off. Right? Pay off that credit card debt. Pay off the student loan debt. Right? Pay off the car loan debt. So if you've got expensive cars and you got this, um, you know, uh, twenty thousand. Um, or $25,000 car loan, get that paid off. Get those things paid off. Get those off your back so that that money can can then be used uh, to help pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible. As I mentioned before, build up an emergency fund to, to help you with that. If you don't have an emergency fund, you're not ready to buy a home because emergencies, things break, things come up on the home, and you don't want to be using your credit card, so have an emergency fund. Also, part of being prepared is, is just uh, being careful about buying when the housing market is high. I mentioned this earlier. So the market goes through ups and downs. If possible, wait to buy until the market is in a down cycle. Um, you know, you never know how far it's down until it starts going down. So I'm not saying time it exactly, but if the market is extremely high, it'd be best that it'd be a good time to wait if possible. Sometimes you can't wait. So you just ask the Lord for wisdom and help and, and do that. Um, but, um, you know, uh, it'd be best to avoid that if the market is high, like it is right now. Uh, along with that, uh, being, uh, just applying wisdom to borrowing money when you're buying a home is aim to pay 20% down, aim to pay 20% down. So, um, I recognize that not everybody can do this, uh, but the, the idea here is the more you can pay down, the, the better. This saves you a lot of money in the long run. And it helps protect you from, from ending up with an upside-down loan if you should need to sell your home during a downturn uh, a few years uh, later after buying the home. I, sp I speak from experience. So we uh, bought a home in 2007, 2008. The market crashed. We, we bought high. Uh, the housing market crashed uh, in large part because the banks were loaning people money to buy homes that they really couldn't afford and so everything was was crashing housing prices crashed because of the flood of availability um, and um, the lack of be, people being able to to get loans uh, at, that, at that point um, to buy a home and we hadn't paid 20 percent down so we found ourselves with an upside down loan and we needed to sell our home, but could not sell our home. So um, the, the short story, uh, the short version of the long story is it got, got eventually provided uh, a buyer who was willing to pay above market value for a home. And then we contributed some money to it so that we could sell it and, and get out of the arrangement um, uh, with only paying a few thousand dollars to, to close the deal. Whereas uh, in, we were looking at possibility of losing or, or $30,000, which we obviously could not afford. I was working as a pastor in Canada at the time. So again, if you pay 20% down, uh, that's best, at least 20% down, because that helps you avoid the mortgage title insurance, which is another savings. So if you pay less than 20% down, you're going to have to pay um, a monthly uh, insurance for mortgage title insurance. It just helps protect the borrower, um, protect their investment. 
Um, so in looking to get a loan, look to aim to get a 15 year fixed rate. Now, I, in the beginning, I wasn't able to buy at that. So again, this is a recommendation. This isn't um, anything that is unequivalent with God's words. It's just a recommendation. Aim to get a 15 year, 15 year fixed rate. So we initially borrowed at a, at a 30 year. Uh, we began paying that. I began paying extra um, on the, on the principal. Each month, and within um, uh, within the first five years, I was able then to refinance to a, a fifteen year. So started with a thirty, ended up with a fifteen year. So I were able to relieve like fifteen years of mortgage payments, which is a pretty good feeling. So look look for opportunities to do that. So aim, and, and an important part of this is when you do borrow, aim to have a mortgage payment of no more than twenty five percent of your take home pay. Aim to have a mortgage payment no more than 25% of your take-home pay. Exceeding this will put you in danger of not having enough funds to meet all of your obligations. So this is where people get into um, a danger and and they um, go into danger of defaulting on their payments, which is what obviously what happened in, in part in the 2018 downturn and the years that followed that. So if you can't, uh, if you if you um, you know look at the home that you want and um, it, and what you have to put down on the house and it results in something that's greater than 25% of your take-home pay, then you have to make some decisions considering buying a different home, buying a smaller home, or you can wait and save up a larger down payment to, to keep the mortgage below the 25% of your take-home pay. So some, some ways which people kind of cheat around this is they borrow money from their family to do that. And again, that's that's not um, a wise idea. So loaning uh, or borrowing money from family changes family dynamics. Uh, Dave Ramsey uh, cautions developmentally against this, and I would as well. I mean, do not borrow money from family. If you're a family member and you have money, um, then uh, you could give it as a gift, and uh, that would be much appreciated. But don't borrow money uh, from family. So... Certainly, um, it, certainly not to, to borrow, not to help you with uh, borrowing money on a home. Um, and the, the idea there is once you get, even if you get a 30-year mortgage or a 15-year mortgage, pay off your mortgage as soon as possible, making an extra principal payment. It doesn't even have to be all that much. It can be an extra 50, an extra 100. It will save you lots of money. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it'll save you lots of money. And drastically shorten the duration of your loan. It's amazing how how much that really helps because of the way the interest is compounded, and you often pay more interest in the early years of the loan. Loan. You can see that if you get a mortgage amortization, that kind of like comes out. And keep in mind that uh, some people don't want to pay off their mortgage because they they get a tax credit on their uh, federal taxes for paying mortgage interest. But keep in mind. The interest on your mortgage that you're paying well exceeds any kind of credit you get on your taxes for the mortgage interest. So you just come out financially better by paying off your loan as soon as possible. And and just a, just a, another principle that we want to talk about before uh, closing here, and that that is this: if you borrow, seek to get out of debt as quickly as possible. So whether it's a mortgage. Or whether it's other kind of what I'll call um, uh, other debts, um, 
then seek to get out as quickly as possible. So if, if sinful spending and lack of contentment got you into a dead hole, confess this is sin and repent. Right? First John 1 John 1.9, if you repent of these things, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he will help you with that. Uh, change the habits. Uh, if you try to get out of debt without changing sinful habits that got you there, uh, it, you're going to be like uh, pumping out water of the hole at the same time you're continuing to pour water into the hole. So it's pretty fruitless. So the habits have to change. Otherwise, you're just putting on a Band-Aid. You're not dealing with the root symptom. And if, if to, to get out of debt as quickly as possible, I recommend you use Dave Ramsey's Snowball Debt Payment Method. You can look it up on his website. So you're basically listing your debts from smallest to greatest, regardless of the interest rate. You're paying off the smallest first and working to the largest. It gains momentum, um, and, and it's encouraging just, you know, as you, you pay those debts off. Um, so you make, make minimum payments on all your debts, except, except the smallest one that you're working on paying off. Uh, step three would be to pay as much as possible on your smallest debt. Step four is to repeat until each debt is paid in full. That's kind of the snowball method. Uh, you just visualize a small snowball uh, starting to roll down the hill and picking up uh, picking up more snow and getting bigger and bigger. So it helps you, helps you get out of debt faster. And uh, thirdly, uh, take radical steps to get out of debt. Sell things if you have to. Reduce your expenses. Increase your income. Uh, beware of, of debt uh, professional debt consolidators who may or may not uh, offer you any real help. So debt consolidation doesn't help you if you don't change your habits. So there are some uh, biblically minded debt consolidators who can help you uh, build a budget and um, to avoid uh, sinful spending that got you there in the first place and help. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say uh, don't consolidate your debts, but at the same time, beware that you don't just use that as a way and excuse to spend more money later. And then just just on advice um, of how it changes family dynamics, don't borrow or, or lend money to family. Don't borrow or lend money to family. So if you have, have money to help family, then make the money a gift, realizing if they want, the family wants to, they can certainly give that money back when they have an opportunity. But just just be generous and and gift the money to them. Uh, if you lend money to family and they don't repay, then it changes and possibly ruins the relationship because you've become the the owner, um, and the family members become the financial slave to you. So it changes how things look at the family table or at Thanksgiving. So there is one other thing with um, debt that I want to cover in the next lesson, and that is uh, how to think about. Um, how to think about our debts that we, if we find ourselves in circumstances that we can't pay it back. We want to pay it back, but we can't. How how should we think about def, well, defaulting on our debts? Is, is that an acceptable thing or not? We'll look at that next time. Thanks for listening to the Pulpit Ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at Medina Bible. .org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.